You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Thank you so much, Ben, for leading us this morning. Well, good morning. Welcome also uh, from me today. Well, this week, it's week two of our series, Kingdom Bringers, Carrying God's Kingdom in a Culture of compromise. We began last week, Martin kicked off the series with a message entitled, In the World, But Not Of It, speaking about the kind of culture war that we all experience, the pressure that we feel in different settings, where the culture, the values, the expectations of certain setting pulls us in a direction that doesn't line up with the kingdom of God and how we're called to speak and to act and conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus and bringers of the kingdom. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, after Easter, I was with Anna, my daughter, in the Lake District for a couple of days, and we took a kayak, a canoe, out on Oldswater, which is a very big lake, several miles long. And we set off, the water was calm, there were no waves, it was fairly easy going. We determined our direction, it was not too difficult just to keep going where we wanted to go. But a little while later, we hit another part of the lake and the wind picked up and the conditions began to change rapidly. The water was no longer calm. There were waves that began, began kind of pushing against our little boat. Progress became harder and harder. We'd set our direction, but the wind and the current kept knocking us off course and dragging us in one direction. In fact, every move we did, we had paddle, we were trying to keep in time to the left and the right, and we kept going, no, more on the left, more on the left, more on the left. In fact, every movement required from us was just to fight against the pull of the wind and the waves and the current. You know, as we set out as kingdom bringers, we can find ourselves trying to set our direction, knowing where we want to go, but finding there is a strong pull of the culture that surrounds us, that drags us off course, unless we do something strong to counter it, to work out how we can stay on track and not compromise. Martin gave us last week an introduction to Daniel and his friends, exiled from their homeland in Judah when it was brutally besieged and its inhabitants were killed or carried off in what must have been extremely traumatic for Daniel and his three young friends. They were probably just teenage boys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, young Hebrew men carrying a culture of the kingdom of God, raised as people of God with the laws and the traditions and the ceremonies of the Hebrew people, but now finding themselves in this fearful place in the household of Nebuchadnezzar, in his service. He was an extremely powerful empire builder. His staff were afraid of losing their heads if they did not please him. These young men, they were surrounded by a culture that was dragging them into compromise, away from the culture and the values that they'd been taught as God's people, which is why even though this book is centuries old, it is so contemporary in speaking to us here today as kingdom bringers in 2022. I know that Martin shared last week something of when he came to Christ as a 17-year-old and finding for a time he kind of lived in two cultures, had a bit of a double life, one way of being on a Saturday night and another way on a Sunday morning. He just blended differently into different settings in different camps. It was a horrible way to try and live. 
It's probably not good for your mental health in the long term, living like that. For me, the journey was a little bit different. I'd grown up in a Christian home, and for me, through my teenagers, each step of uh, increased independence and maturity, guess presented the question as to where I would align myself. Would I align myself with the things that friends were doing or peers were doing and people at school were doing, or would I align myself with the culture that I knew was true to following Jesus? And there were wrestles, different wrestles at different times around boys and relationships and behaviors and pastimes. I might have a few months of making good choices, being on a good journey, but then get caught up in something that would drag me away for a bit until someone challenged me or helped me or drew close to me and helped me find my way again. I distinctly remember as a 15-year-old having a boyfriend who was not a Christian. It was a trivial relationship, but he was not a Christian and I knew it wasn't great for me. Additionally to that, he was a Birmingham City fan and I was an Aston Villa fan at the time, so it was kind of like a double disgrace. I remember going away with the Christian Union from my school for a weekend in that season and just being undone by the Lord as I found myself again in a place of compromise from where I knew he was calling me to be. I knew deep down I desired to follow Jesus, but somehow I'd got blown right off course and found myself a bit lost again, needing to get back on track. And I'm so grateful that Jesus never let go of me in my faltering, in my wandering, in my being dragged off track, he kept helping me to come back. You know, the reality is that whatever age we are, whatever stage of life we're at, we can feel the rub in our lives. We feel the pull and the drag of the culture that surrounds us. We feel the pressure to conform. The desire to belong is there in all of us strongly. We wanna fit in, but Daniel and his friends can help us today. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 1. We're not going to read the whole of the chapter. We're just going to read verses 1 to 7 as we just dive into this account again today to see how he and him and his friends can help us. This is from verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, Martin, we're going to leave it there. We could read on through the account. It's worth reading. If you weren't here last week or you've not read it, read it later at home to find out what happens next. But Martin helped to see us last week that Daniel was someone who resolved. He purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. And he was someone who prayed when there was opposition and he carried an excellent spirit. 
These were three helpful things for us to remember. I'm actually going to revisit them later in the message this morning. But I want us first to focus here on what the Babylonians were doing, how they went without using force to try to get these young men to assimilate into Babylonian culture and to compromise. And so if you want a title today, the title is Identity Theft. Identity theft. You see, these young men, they were to be taught in the language and the literature of the Babylonians. They were to be kind of uh, taught the ideology, the way of thinking, the philosophy. But then what happened was the chief official, it says, gave them new names. This is where we come to this idea of identity theft, because when we consider the names that these young men had been given in their homeland and what they were named instead by the Babylonian chief, we find that this is a direct attack on their identity. Now, I've come to realize when I meet someone and I ask them their name, if their name sounds Nigerian, it's almost always worth asking a secondary question. What does your name mean? The reason I ask is because Nigerian parents know how to give their kids really great names. If you ask what their name means, there's nearly always a rich meaning. And very often it has something to do with God or God's nature or God's goodness or the praise that is due to his name. It's woven in to the name of the person standing in front of me. I love that. How powerful to have that as part of your name, to have that spoken out every time your name is called. Now, the young men in this story that we read today, they came from a similar cultural tradition that honored God in the naming of people. It rooted the identity of the person within the community of God's people, with a name that referred to some aspect of God's nature. It joined their identity to the identity and nature of their God. So what were the meanings of their names? Well, Daniel means God is my judge. That's a strong name. God is my judge. Imagine how living by that every day. Maybe some of you in the room are called Daniel and you live with that every day. Hananiah means the grace of the Lord or the Lord has been gracious. Mishael means he that is the strong God or who can compare to my God. What a great name. Azariah means the Lord is a help or Yahweh has helped. What great names they live by. These boys collectively, their names oriented their lives, the souls who'd been created by God, who were rooted in and protected by God, helped by God, and in the end would be judged by Yahweh. The almighty God, the God of Israel, their names and their identities were centered upon God himself. So what did the Babylonians change their names to? Well, Daniel, they changed from God is my judge to Belteshazzar, which means keeper of the hidden treasures of Bel, the Babylonian God. Hananiah, they changed to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. Mishael, they changed to Meshach, which means I'm despised, contemptible, humiliated. And Azariah, they changed to Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo, another God whom they worshipped. The new names they were given, they were not being tweaked to make them more pronounceable to the Babylonians. They were not being shortened or abbreviated. They were not given nicknames out of affection. They were given new names to reorient their identities. Away from Yahweh away from the Hebrew God, who, in whom were their identities, their standards, their convictions, and their way of life, and to orientate them to something different, to other gods, to a different way of living, 
The Babylonians were undermining their trust and their confidence in God, so they would be fearful. So they would consider themselves despised and humiliated, needing the approval of their new masters. This is why we might call what is going on here identity theft. When you unpack it and you look at it, they were robbing these young men of their identity and their orientation of their lives in Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, I know for you and me, we may or may not have been given birth names by our parents that have something to do with God. Many of us won't have that. But every one of us who is a follower of Jesus here today has been given a new identity in Christ. You have been called a son or a daughter. You are loved, you are protected, you have a helper in Yahweh, you have purpose, and you are accountable to him as the judge, as Daniel's name reminded him. In fact, the New Testament is full of truths concerning our identity in Christ. It tries to underline for us that new, we are new creations in Christ, that we have a new identity. The verses like John chapter 1, verse 12, that says, to all who received him and to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verses like 1 John 3, verse 1, that says, behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. Verses like Ephesians 2, verse 10, that says, for we are God's workmanship or handiwork, created in Christ Jesus with good works prepared in advance for us to do. You are his handiwork. Verses like Galatians 4, verse 7, that say, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. You're an heir of God here this morning. He speaks to say that you are protected. Hebrews 13, 5 says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The last words of Jesus, Matthew 28, 20, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. In Christ, we have an identity not unlike that which Daniel and his friends had been given, that roots us into the nature and into the purposes of Almighty God. But the thing for us is this, that as we come to carry God's kingdom into a culture of compromise, we can be sure that just as quickly as the Babylonians sought to change the name and identity of these young men, that God's enemy in the current culture, this current culture will seek to rob you of your identity as an accepted, loved child of God, who is a co-heir with Christ, who has purpose and protection and accountability to God. This current culture will seek to rob you of your identity in Christ. Daniel and his friends had Hebrews names that rooted them into an identity in God, in Yahweh. And their new names sought to strip them of this and replace it with other things. And similarly, our culture will suggest many places for us to find and to place our identity of what we might want our lives to look like or sound like. We may seek to find our identity in things that we do or in relationships that we have. We may seek to find our identity in our appearance or how our life looks. Instagram suggests to me that many, many people do that. Performance, achievement, driving after some sort of career or success, possessions, money, wealth, status, influence, perceived security, the gratification of 
the appetites of our flesh. All of these can give people some sense of identity. You know, for every person, all of humanity, we were all created in the image and the likeness of God with an identity that is rooted in him. And if we lose our orientation to him and to this identity, we will seek to find it in something or someone or somewhere else. Our current culture is desperate to replace God at the heart of identity. You will see that and hear you in the world, hear that in the world around you. We see it so clearly in a culture that says to us loudly and forcibly that sexuality is your identity, that actually your appetites define your identity. That is what culture shouts at us at the moment. The current social narrative, at least in the media, suggests that we should be able to determine our own identities, particularly in the domain of gender, that we should be able to self-identify. And this is just another way of removing God and putting self instead at the center of identity. Now, of course, questions of sexuality and gender identity, these are complex. These are deeply painful. And as carriers of God's kingdom, we should be some of the first to carry deep and genuine compassion for those who grapple with these issues inside and outside the church, whilst not compromising the biblical truths that put God at the center of identity, that honor him as creator and savior and seeks to obey him in all things. We would do well in this area to redouble our efforts to know what the Bible says on these things and to be very careful that we are interpreting it accurately, and perhaps more than all of those things, to be sure that we are loving people as Jesus did. You know, our true identity will only be found rooted in and oriented in the God who designed us in his image, not in self, not in how self might choose to present or desire to be gratified or wish that we could be. For every one of us, there will be a pull to find our identity in something other than in Christ. It's part of the battle that we find ourselves in. Pride will keep drawing us back to some sort of identity that has self at the center of it, whether with career or success or money or whatever thing. I know that as a young woman, to some degree, I found my identity in how I looked. Actually, the pressure of doing that was enormous because I felt I needed to look and to be a certain way for that identity to be satisfied or to be enough. And the truth was that I couldn't fulfill everything it seemed that culture demanded of me. So it was actually a very damaging place to have my identity because it resulted in a lot of uh, negative thinking about myself. It was very unhealthy, but eventually it did lead me to realize that I had to have my identity rooted in the God who loved me, who treasured me, who delighted in me, who gave himself for me, who found that I was enough and made me just as he wanted me to be. Where do you drift into finding your identity? As an aside, I spoke to Donald this week about his birthday, knowing it was coming up and it was gonna be a big birthday. Uh, he said, keep it on the down low because then I can keep self-identifying as someone in my 60s. I think he was only joking. I think he could have got away with it, but we've blown it for him now this morning. We love you, Donald. Now, when we suffer identity theft, when we lose connection with who we are and whose we are, then compromise becomes much easier. 
and much more likely, and the Babylonians knew this, but we also have an enemy who will seek to rob us of, an, of our identity, to rob us of our God-centeredness, of our testimony that Yahweh has helped us, of our gratitude that he has been gracious, of our peace, and it will seek to replace it with fear. We have an enemy who'll seek to rob us of our knowledge of the incomparably strong God who is with us. He'll seek to rob us of our confidence. And most of us will probably already have experienced a battle to hold on to some of these things because we have an enemy who is seeking to rob us of our identity in God. And he does this because his kingdom is at risk to anyone who truly knows and holds to their identity in Christ. But the truth is that we are up against a sustained, prolonged attempt at identity theft. So what should we do? How do we prepare ourselves to stand in this? Well, we know from last week, Daniel, uh, there were three key words, uh, resolve, prayer, and spirit. These were the three key things that we learned last week, that kingdom bringers resolve in the face of compromise, that Daniel resolved, he purposed it in his heart, if you like, decided beforehand. The kingdom bringers pray when there is opposition. And the kingdom bringers distinguish themselves with an excellent spirit. And as we consider how we might stand against identity theft, I want us to consider these three traits of Daniel. First of all, that kingdom bringers resolve. Kingdom bringers resolve. And they resolve to know their identity in Christ and to hold to it. Kingdom bringers to resolve, resolve to know their identity in Christ and to hold to it. As an 18-year-old girl, I was just learning who I was in Christ. I was thinking about whether to go and study, whether to go to uni. I'd seen two uh, older sisters go to uni and shipwreck their faith for a season in compromise. And so I took a year out to serve God. I thought, let me grow. Let me learn for a year. Let me get a bit more mature. Let me find out more about who I am in Christ before I put myself in that environment. Always the advantage of being a younger sibling. You can learn from other people's mistakes. So I did, you might call it an informal internship for a little church and mission in the south of France in Marseille. I did whatever was needed for the family, for the church, for the outreach. And it was such a good move. It was a hard year, it was a challenging year. In some ways it was a lonely year, but it went that I was more mature. I was more sure of who I was in Christ and more ready to go into the setting of university and be able to hold on to who I was. And when I went to uni, I found out about churches in the city I was moving to before I left my home church. I'd made a decision that when I went, I was gonna look around churches for the first term and then make a decision at Christmas and then I was gonna stick with my choice for the whole of my degree because I knew that people backslid all the time and I knew that I needed a church so that I didn't lose sight of who I was in Christ. The truth is I still need a church to make sure that I don't lose sight of who I am in Christ. I think probably most of us need a church to help us to do that. And when I found a church, I knew I needed to be in a small group because I needed to belong. But I'd resolved. I knew something of who I was and I didn't want to compromise, but I purposed it in my heart. I resolved to know who I was in Christ and to hold on to it, but it took resolve, it took decisions, it took uh, thinking about it beforehand. I'm, I'm sure there are times and places in your life where you're tempted, where you're pressurized to compromise, to compromise who you are and who you know you are in Christ. It'd be different for each one of us. We need to resolve 
to know our identity of who we are in Christ and what is going to be needed to hold on to it. If you know right now, you need to invest in finding out more about who you are in Christ. Can I say the Freedom in Christ course is one of just the best ways to do that, and it's why we run it here. And it, it actually began last week, but we're keeping, it, uh, we're keeping it open for another week so you can book in today still if as a response to this, you say, actually, no, I need to do this. And uh, so you can still book into that today. But kingdom bringers resolve to know who they are in Christ and to hold on to it. Secondly, kingdom bringers pray. Kingdom bringers pray. They have a live dialogue with God about who he has made them in Christ. You know, prayer is not just talking to God, it's also listening to God. It's engaging with him, it's opening our heart to him. There are a few things that are more powerful than prayer that is rooted in the word of God, in the Bible where we look at scripture and when we talk to God. This is kind of the foundation of my prayer life. It's not me coming up with new stuff every day, although sometimes there is new stuff, but I come to the word and then I talk to God about what is in there. Sometimes it helps me to praise him and thank him and come in wonder because of what I see of him. But then sometimes I can talk to him and be honest with him about what I see there in his word, about how it's landing with me, about what I find maybe hard to believe or take on board or what is challenging or what I don't like, not so I can reject it, but so that he can work with his Holy Spirit to show me really what is in me and where the blockages are. And so he can bring the words alive within me because that's what his spirit does as we dialogue about his word. It grows faith in me. And I wanna say every one of us needs to have a live dialogue with God about our identity in Christ, about who he has made us. We need it because in all the spheres of our life, we may be challenged on our identity. And this prayer dialogue, it simply begins with the words that have been written about who you are. You might already know them. You might have them on your fridge or on a screensaver, or maybe you're just getting to grips with the word of God. Some of the verses that I read earlier, things that tell us that we're sons and daughters, we're chosen, we're loved, we're accepted, we're heirs, we're adopted, we're protected. We can begin with these things every day when we come to approach God. We know that we come into the presence of God with an offering of praise or an offering of thanks. What a great place to start with a dialogue about what God has done for me, because I didn't deserve any of it. Everything that he's given me in Christ came as grace. When we opened up uh, on Friday, our prayer and praise time, as we often do with opportunity for different people to speak out thanks or praise, Arinza prayed out as he so often does. He said, Father, thank you. You have made us sons and daughters. He has a live dialogue about his identity in Christ. That's what it sounds like. What this sounds like for me is, Father, thank you that you've made me a daughter. Thank you that you've adopted me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for all the many things that I do not deserve, but that you have lavished on my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for not walking away, even though I gave you reason time and time again, but you have stayed with me. You said you'd never leave me and you'd never forsake me, and you haven't. You've protected me. You've put your name on me. You've made me your daughter. Thank you that you've made me a co-heir with Christ. I can't fully even understand what that means, but I am so grateful to you, Lord. What happens when I begin to actively dialogue it with God is his, with his spirit in the mix, it comes alive in me. It becomes real in me. It gets sealed in me. And then under pressure, it can go into another gear because sometimes we can find ourselves under pressure, can't we? We're up against it. We're feeling pressurized. We're feeling less than God's children. We're feeling under threat. Or is that only me? 
And then it might sound a bit more, no, I'm a child of God. <laughs> the word of God, Lord, your word says I am a child of God. I am not going to be intimidated. Even though I feel scared, I'm reminding myself, you said never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I thank you, Lord. You said you would be with me until the end of the age. I am holding to your word today. On the days when an enemy comes to tell you that you're nothing or you're rubbish, when he comes to tell me those things, I'll say, no, the word of God says that I am his handiwork. I am his workmanship. I'm created in Christ for good works prepared in advance for me to do. But I can go there because I have a live dialogue with God about who he's made me in Christ. And I am not giving it up. I'm going to hold on because kingdom bringers pray. They have live dialogue with God about who he's made them to be. And finally, if I can invite the band to come. Number three this morning. Kingdom bringers are full of the Holy Spirit. He testifies inside them that they are children of God. In this area where we come to stand against attempts at identity theft, we have a literal superpower available to us. We have a literal superpower available to us. You know, we, uh, Martin said last week that Daniel distinguished himself with an excellent spirit. And its spirit is this word ruah. It's not about um, qualities. It's not about competency. It's ruah. It's his spirit. But then if we read through some more chapters in Daniel, we hear about this exchange with Nebuchadnezzar. He makes some comments on Daniel's excellence. He says, none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret this dream for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. We've got a pagan king notices in Daniel, not just the excellence of his spirit, but that the spirit of the holy God was in him. This was key for Daniel as it will be for us if we're gonna genuinely be kingdom bringers in a culture of compromise. Of course, the Holy Spirit empowers us, emboldens us, enables us. But before we get to any of that stuff where we're facing people and speaking to people or ministering to people or praying for people, Holy Spirit has a really important role in every believer. And it is to help us hold on to our identity in Christ, that we would know it, that we would believe it. And I would even add that we would feel it. Because everything else flows from this. From this central belief and conviction of our identity in Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Romans 8, he says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, are children of God. He said, the Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. And then he says this, the Spirit himself testifies or bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We're heirs, we're children, we're adopted. And adopted means you're given the full rights of a male heir. <laughs> in Roman law, that's the best you could have, the full rights of a male heir. You're co-heirs with Christ. This is who you are. This is your identity in him. And Paul says the Spirit himself comes to testify in your spirit that this is your identity, that this is true. He comes into the deep places of your soul beyond your ears, beyond your thinking, comes to testify deep into our spirits that we're children, that we have an identity, that we're heirs, that we're loved and chosen. 
and accepted. You know, I've come to realize that often the best prayer that I can pray for someone is to pray for Holy Spirit to come and to testify deep in their spirit that they're a son, that they're a daughter, that they're loved, that they're accepted. And simply to say, Holy Spirit, come and do this work in them. Testify to them that you're their daddy. And of course, if the Spirit of God is living in you, how can it not be that he is your daddy? You know, if in the flesh, if we want to check someone's identity, sometimes we do a DNA test, yeah? Now, of course, DNA is something of flesh and not of spirit, but imagine if we wanted to check someone's spiritual DNA. You know, if we came to any believer and we took their spiritual DNA, whose father would we find? Who would we find to be the father? We'd find evidence of the spirit of the Father Almighty that would prove that you are a son and that you're a daughter. And if you've seen anything or understood anything of Jesus, then that's because the Spirit of God is at work in you. But the Bible also shows us that there's an empowering, a sealing work that Holy Spirit comes to do in, in each one. He doesn't barge in. He doesn't uh, come without being invited. He waits. He respects our will, but He's waiting every day to fill you and to fill me, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time. He comes, he wants to come and to testify again that you're a child, that you have an identity in Christ, that you are who he says you are. So kingdom bringers, they resolve to know their identity in Christ and to hold to it. Kingdom bringers pray, they have a live dialogue with God about who he has made them in Christ. But kingdom bringers are full of the Holy Spirit so that he can testify in them that they are children of God. So friends, I know there's work for us to do as we come out of a message like that, for us to engage and invest in our identity, but there's also a response to Holy Spirit this morning. And as we come and bring a conclusion here, I'm gonna invite you to, to come forward to receive something afresh of the Holy Spirit, to come out of your seat. And I know we've not done this loads since COVID. We did have an encounter evening where there were many, many people at the front here, but we've not done this loads. So you might need to just say, just look and say to the person down the road, do you need to come by? But why don't you just do that right now? Do you need to come by? Because we're gonna be praying for people here right now. Uh, if you need to come out of your seat, just get up, just come to the front. We're gonna invite Holy Spirit to come and to fill and to testify in different ones of us. You may have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Today might be the first day, or you may have been filled many times, but you say, actually, no, I need Holy Spirit to do something different in this, in me today. So let's, let's stand to our feet, and if you're coming to respond, then uh, come now, because I'm gonna pray in just a moment. Prayer team are gonna be here to agree and to pray with some people. Father, we thank you. We come to you today as your sons and your daughters, knowing that we need your help, knowing that we need your Holy Spirit, your superpower to remind us, to reveal to us that we are sons and that we are daughters. If you're coming, come now. Thank you, Lord.
that's it. Just come, come right to the front. Come fill so we've got space. I'm expecting there's going to be many, many people want to respond this morning. This is a message for everyone. Most of us need to receive something fresh of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Just come and fill the front here so there's room for lots of people to come. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you. Lord, we thank you for your kindness and grace to us that you've poured out your Holy Spirit to fill every believer, every follower of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, you come and make your home in us and that you do this work of testifying on the inside of us that we are children, that we are sons and we are daughters, that we are children who've been adopted. Thank you that you come into the inside of us, that by you we cry, Daddy, Father. So we just invite you here today as we respond. We say we need you. We desire you. We invite you. If you're at the front, why don't you say, Holy Spirit, please fill me afresh. And you just let him hear you say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and to minister to every man and woman, every young man, every young woman here today, that you would come and testify in their hearts that they are sons, that they're a daughter, that they're a child, that you would minister, that you would come deep into their hearts, that they would sense your love, your acceptance, their forgiveness. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just minister into them. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Lord.